Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jill Baker. And listen, friends, if you've had a car broken down on the side of the road kind of week, welcome. You're going to feel right at home. So today we are skipping straight to the comfort talk for the days when it's the tiny happy things that keep us keeping on. Lisa Joe, this is the tiny happy episode I really needed. So get comfy, friends. Here we go. So, dear listeners, Lisa Joe and I, of course, as actual good real life friends, don't just sit down and have conversations once a week, but we check up much more often than that. And yesterday, you and I, Lisa Joe, although I realize here we don't actually talk on the phone phone. We Vox. So I don't know if our listeners are familiar with that app. It's like a walkie-talkie app. It's kind of like WhatsApp, but you leave more voice messages. So yesterday, you and I were Voxing Lisa Joe, which I think works... On the phone. On the phone. So kind of going back <laughs> and forth, leaving messages. But I feel like it works for, you know, the crazy of life. Because while I was Voxing you, I was helping two children on a play date make a chocolate cake, which was fairly insane. <laughs> And you Based on were in cake stories of last yes, week. Yes, exactly, exactly. It was not <laughs> quite so insane. And if our listeners don't know what we're talking about, definitely go back and listen to last week's baking adventure. Um, but you were actually in the car. We were boxing. Right. And listeners, the worst thing is when you're boxing your dear friend, she's in her car, and then the next message you get from her is oh no, my car has broken down. I'm pulling over into an exit. And But then I missed, I, I, I was, I got distracted. So it had been a few minutes since you left that. And I came back to that and I was like, oh no. So then I sit, started sending you texts like, Lisa Joe, tell me you're okay. Tell me you're okay. <laughs> oh no. You almost had an audio tr- track of my near death experience. Yes. No, it wasn't that dramatic. But I mean, We're beginning with that story because it is the perfect analogy for how life can feel some days. Like life is chugging, chugging along and it might be a lot and it might feel overwhelming, but you're still in the headed in the right direction. You're nearly at the exit to pick your kid (laughs) and her friend up from play practice. And uh, just for context, last week when we were supposed to pick these girls up, uh, the practices change. Sometimes they end at 5, sometimes they end at 5.30 because teachers hate us, apparently. <laughs> and so Peter thought it was 5.30 and he arrived at 5.20 thinking he was early only to Aww, discover he was 20, 20 minutes, minutes late. late. And the other mom had been calling me like, are you guys picking them up? And I'm like, yeah, Pete's like left early. What's the problem? So this time I had looked it up. I knew it was ending at 5. I was early and literally as I am taking the exit for my child's school, it just cut out like all the electronics in the car just, they paused, they took a breather, (laughs) (laughs) took a respite from their life and I coasted to the shoulder and was unable to fetch the girls on time and texted Peter and was like, what is happening? And this is our life. So I think a lot of us have weeks, months, years where we just feel like we're barely holding it together. And then the last thing gives out and you're now stranded. And because of that, uh, when I was talking to Christy about what will we talk about today, since my whole life then devolved into a car escapade last night, uh, she had an excellent idea. And I think we're going to we're going to kick it back old school today. That's right. That's right. And I thought about a friend of ours. I don't know if you did too, Lisa Joe, but I thought about our friend Ann Voskamp. Um, 
I actually met with another friend yesterday and she she brought it up. She said, you know, years ago when Ann Voskamp started writing about gratitude and just that daily practice of gratitude, she said it really changed my life. And I thought, you know, yeah, I think a lot of people could say that. So yeah, when you and I thought about what we should do today in the midst of the crazy and the awful and the too much and the overwhelming, I I thought about our old school podcast where we used to regularly talk about our favorite ordinary things, the things that make daily life rich and good and meaningful, even though they're so small and ordinary. But I also thought about Ann Voskamp and how she helped a lot of us practice gratitude, like like grateful as a discipline, grateful in the midst of everything falling apart. Um, there always are these things that we can remember, that we can hold on to. Uh, it's good to, to actually, like Anne used to, you know, have us like actually write them out as a in a list. And I did that before we sat down. I wrote, I have my little my list. list. Yes. I literally was like, <laughs> and it, it helped so much this morning. Right. I, I felt better every time I added some small thing to this list. Yes. Yes, me too. So we're talking today about some of our favorite ordinary things right now, but we're also clinging with desperate white knuckle fingers to good things in the midst of life. And I don't know, Lisa Joe. one thing I've, I feel like I've pretty much accepted, but not really at this point in my life, is that the craziness and the cars breaking down and the getting sick, like that is actually life. And I'm not just waiting to get through it to get to my actual life. Right. For better or worse, this is it. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> here we are. So who yes. goes first today? Do you want to go first or me or? Um, I can go first. It is. And so I have listeners. I have no idea what Christy's going to share. I don't know if they're like tangible items in her home or something someone did or said or seasonal. No clue. I, I did not quite. Let's just say there's no wrong way to understand the assignment. Right. <laughs> so if you are listening at home, you can join in in your own mind. Feel free to tag us on Instagram as you have things that come to mind throughout the week that are like ordinary things. I sometimes think of them as tiny, happy things. Tiny, like they don't have to be big, but they make a big difference. All right. Tiny, happy thing number one that has changed our marriage. Oh, I kid you not. Oh. After like nearly 25 years of being married. Uh, Peter Baker is actively participating in making the bed. And <laughs> you have no idea how much this impacts my mental health. I like a bed to be made. And every day of our marriage, I make it. And I don't even make it fancy. We don't even have four poster bed. Like it's not like yours where it might take more <laughs> effort to make the bed. I literally pull up the duvet, throw some, like we don't even have throw pillows. I throw our actual pillows at the top of the bed. And then there's one sort of long, big body pillow. That's it. But just having them placed and not scattered around the room or the whole bed draped over to the side in sadness, like where the cover looks like it's as depressed as I felt when I got out in the morning. <laughs> having the bed happily put back together somehow makes me feel at the beginning of the day, I've accomplished something like all the studies show. And it's always me who does it. And the thing is, on the days where Peter gets up after me and he and I change off on morning schedules, then I would be annoyed because like he would be done. I'd come back into the bedroom and now I have to make the bed. But I've been up for three hours. Why can't you just make the bed, dude? He's making the bed. And it is like 
so wonderful. Every time I go in there, I feel joy. And in the beginning, he would sort of have this half-hearted shrugging the bed back together. But some days I'll go in and it's so precious, like it's so perfectly aligned and the pillows are propped up so nicely. And I don't know, it just feels like an I love you every time I go in there. That is an ordinary thing that has been a game changer for me. That is fantastic. And I feel like I'm I'm going to ask a question, but it's sort of outside the boundaries. So you do not have to answer, <laughs> especially if the answer is complicated. We'll just save it for another episode. But why the sudden change of attitude toward bed making no, on the part of Mr. Peter I, Baker? <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and break it down. Uh, it's nothing super complicated, but part of it is I think I used to do that thing that that I think women do tend to do where we don't understand why our husbands don't just intuit what matters to us. Like you see me make this bed every day and I would do the passive aggressive sigh. And, and so, so, but I don't know that he realized like that it was more than just an irritation that it like was actually a way of making me feel so loved and secure. And so I actually sat down one day and said, Hey, listen, so about the bed, <laughs> like, because he actually does this wonderful thing in seasons where I'm really overwhelmed, he will often say this incredible phrase that I should add to my list. He says, how can I help you today? And it's really meaningful to me because he's not saying that because he doesn't know what the kid's schedule is. He's already doing those things. He means it because he's saying me, like specifically, like internally, what will help you manage the stresses of this day. And I just said to him, Weirdly, Pete, you making the bed after you get out, like whoever is the last person to get out making the bed has a huge impact on how I feel about the entire rest of my day. And I recognize that that is stupid for him. Like he doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> affect him that way. And which is why I think he has maybe not appreciated it as well. It just doesn't have that impact on him. And I was like, but it, but it really impacts me. And it is a way for you to love me. Like, and, and it was like he he got it. And I'll tell you, the inverse for me to love him is that I don't care where I fill up my car with gas. I want to fill it up at the most convenient place possible. Peter wants the gas from Costco. It really matters to him. Like, and I get like it's a it can be a big financial saving over time. But like whenever I have to get gas, it's like late at night and I'm tired. I don't want to drive all the way to Costco. So I have committed that if I drop the kids at school in the morning and I'm coming home past Costco, I go and fill up at Costco. And then I tell him, I filled up at Costco. <laughs> I can tell it brings him the same joy as him making my bed does. And I think that's part <laughs> of what a marriage is. It's like understanding it's more than the bed. It's more than the gas. It's This is something that says, I love you in a very ordinary way. Mm -hmm. That's really beautiful. And I'm sure by knowing Peter... He's glad to know that there is this actually quite simple way of making such a right. huge difference for you. Yeah. It's it's funny, not funny, that it does take us decades to get to <laughs> Although I will say it's because you're always working through things. You know, you're always, always, always working through to understand each other, to love each other. So it's not as if you haven't been doing that for 20 years and now you've figured it out. It's that you're right, always doing right, it. Right. And this is just the latest example of... <laughs> Right. And it's not like he's never made the bed in 20 years. I think it was the it was like he had to have this mental shift to like, oh, this isn't just that my wife is annoyed or she wants her bedroom to be perfect. It, it's, it actually is affecting my wife's internal 
peace and happiness and joy and sense of being loved. And so every time he makes it and I go in there, like after I've worked all day and I like walk down to the hall to the bedroom and I see it made, it has visceral impact. And every time I tell him, oh, I feel so loved. Look how peaceful the room is. Like I reaffirm over and over. And so, yeah, it's just, it is one of those weird things in marriage where we have to learn to say the thing we actually want isn't the made bed. It's the sense of peace and calm and being loved and that you heard something that makes me feel valuable. So it ends up becoming about much more than literally the 30 seconds it takes to pull the bed together. Right. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, my first tiny happy thing is like, I was going to say it was more tangible, but actually I don't know if it is. Um, And very sort of off-brand for me, it's a television show. Um, oh, bring it. Although I will say that, uh, I'll just give a little sneak peek here. I do have some some tiny happy book things coming, but first the television show. Um, so I don't know if our listeners know, I have an online gardening community that I host, Black Barn Garden Club. And so we're just a little small group of wannabe gardeners connecting online. And so one of the um, members of my online gardening online gardening community, see if I can say it, um, recently posted and recommended, she lives in the UK, she posted um, a television show that originates in um, the UK called Clarkson's Farm. And I had seen it pop up on my Netflix Prime, actually now I don't even remember, something on my television had told me I might like Clarkson's Farm. Um, But I tend to to like gardening shows versus farming shows. So I just didn't pay any attention, but she recommended it. And uh, she even said in particular that it had been a fun thing to watch with her son. Um, and she did say, you know, the language, it, it the, the character in this show, you know, uh, is such that the language is quite salty, let's say. So if you're okay <laughs> with that. So I, um, as our listeners do know, because I've been coughing my way through the past few episodes, um, I was recently sick with the virus that shall not be named. Um, And so I queued up the first episode of the first season. There's two seasons of Clarkson's Farm. Uh, Well, (laughs) let's just say I loved it. I also, it, it does that fabulous, painful thing that I think a lot of British comedy does, especially anything that is either actually a sort of reality show or is trying to look like a reality show where the comedy is so true and real and uncomfortable. It's actually also sort of painful. (laughs) But I thought, okay, I think think this might be something that my teenage sons might enjoy and might watch with me. So for you know, episode two, I made sure they were with me. Well, anyhow, Lisa Joe, the boys and I have really gotten into Clarkson's Farm, partially because, let me tell you about the show. So it is a, it is, I guess you'd call it reality television. It's, it's not a documentary, but it's purporting to show real life. Um, and the um, Clarkson of the title is Jeremy Clarkson, who I believe is very well known to maybe especially British television audiences. Um, he's been on the air, I think, for decades with a show called, oh, now it'll escape me, Top Gear, I think, which... Oh, the car show. Right, which I'd always heard yeah, about. Yeah, it's but, quite, it's a very famous yes, car show. But I've yeah. never oh, seen. Well, lo and behold, my my older son has seen it, knows this show. And so he was intrigued. Okay, but here's the premise. So this famous race car television guy who 
as I said, is, you know, language is not the most polite, (laughs) kind of a larger-than-life character. Apparently, he owns a vast farm in the Cotswolds in the English countryside, and he has had a sort of farm manager or sort of leased it out to a farmer who's been farming it for him. Um, But around 2019, his farmer retired, and Jeremy Clarkson decided he would farm his farm himself. Oh, no way. Now, this is a setup I can get behind because I've heard about this show, but never really was like, I don't know, like a farming show. This is a premise that actually sounds like cool. It's fantastic. So it is, it's beautifully filmed, first of all, I'll say, which is something I really appreciate about British television, that even if it's a goofy, funny show like this, the the camera just takes time to appreciate the, the beauty of the English countryside. So there are just moments of real beauty. Um, but it is Jeremy Clarkson's personality. And he is... He's just sort of crazy, and he knows, let me just say, he knows less than nothing about farming, and he <laughs> leans into that hard, and yet he blunders through life as if he's the guy who's going to solve the problem, he's going to come oh, up no with a great way. plan, and let's just say, you only have to watch maybe three episodes to realize that when Jeremy Clarkson says, I have a plan to save, you know, whatever. I have the greatest idea. Well, be afraid because it's going to go spectacularly wrong. And there are these wonderful host of characters who actually know about farming, um, especially this one very young, I think he's only 21, young tractor driver who has grown up on a farm and at the age of 21 is already like raising pigs and farming his own fields and raising, uh, I don't oh, know, wow. just doing everything. Like he, he's, wow. he's, He's a farmer and he's this young guy and he gets so mad at Jeremy Clarkson because Jeremy will just do these, (laughs) like will ignore his advice and do these terrible things. Anyway, it is so, it's funny. It's sort of heartwarming and my teenage boys love it. So that's really why I'm mentioning it here. It's not that I think everyone will love this. Uh, You know, can I just say again, the language is you know, when Selfie. Elsa walks through the room, I like, I'm like, Elsa, don't listen. I like put my hand, <laughs> hands over her ears. I mean, she can totally hear, but, and then I'll tell her, don't use these words you're hearing, you know, <laughs> she knows, she knows. Um, unless you're farming when you should Unless you're be. farming in the Cotswolds when you really shouldn't be. But that rare joy of finding something on the television that I can enjoy with two teenage boys, that is the rarest of rare pleasures. So my husband often watches things with them because they have the same taste in, you know, movies. And But I have no interest in watching the Rocky films or Godfather or whatever. <laughs> And so it's very rare that we actually enjoy something together. So we have been enjoying Clarkson's Farm. So I'm only maybe, I'm not even through season one. I'm excited to see season two. Um, And I I don't even know if I'm recommending it. I think I am. If you hear in this something that sounds appealing, go for it. I've really been enjoying it. But mostly it's it's that finding a a happy thing that you can share with teenage boys mm. who still live in your yeah, home. Tiny happy things. Yeah, I think I'll always That's remember so it. We'll good. always talk about Clarkson's Farm. <laughs> that is great. I'm adding it to the list. Uh, I love that. And I think it's a good transition to my next thing from teenagers to teenagers. I, mine isn't, this is a short one. Like, here's a little blurby one. But 
I don't know why it makes me laugh so hard when my teenage daughter, she, I guess she's not a teenager yet. She sure feels like one. I mean, you know what this is like. Your youngest in a house of teens now starts to feel like a teen. So she's oh, turning yeah. 12 in yeah. two weeks. In my mind, she's been a teenager for a year. Almost. Right. She yeah. certainly acts like one. And uh, so they know that my one of my primary love languages is verbal affirmation. And I have spent the last four days, I actually took off two days of work, trying to finish up some of the very big edits in my book, um, the book that shall not be named. That's <laughs> how I think of it. And my editor had sent her edits back and I was working and a lot of it took like some reconstruction in certain areas. And man, it is hard to work all week and then work all weekend. And I worked another two days, um, like really long shifts. And so I was coming out of the house on Monday, I'd come back late Monday evening. And then Tuesday morning, I was walking back to start work and saying goodbye to everybody as they were leaving for school and sort of feeling sorry for myself that I had so much ahead of me. And they all stopped and then just started giving me encouragement because this has now become a ritual. Like they'll be like, you could do it, mom. Like uh -huh. we believe in you. We're so <laughs> proud of you. And Zoe turns to me and she goes, slay mom, slay, slay all day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It's so funny. Like there's something about teenage slang when they give it to you like a love gift. And <laughs> I just all day, I just kept thinking, slay, slay mom, mom, slay all day. <laughs> And I, uh, you, I, well, I guess I want to leapfrog that to like something else related to teenagers in writing, but I'll preface this by saying, so Christy, now your assignment is, as I tell this next half of the story, to tell, to think if there are any phrases that your teenagers use, because <laughs> I know there are many, but that have resonated with you because slay all day for some reason. <laughs> it's like not even a super new one. It's like it's come back around. It makes me laugh so much as a nearly 49-year-old woman to be thinking of myself as slaying. I'm slay all day when all I do is sit at a desk and just essentially stare into space for 12 hours. <laughs> That's, right. that's what I'm doing in my like oldest clothes. But related to her little blip of a joy in my life, this tiny happy thing, is the fact that my oldest, who is a junior in high school, he has an AP English class, which he had to explain to me what that meant because being not from your school system, so that advanced college level English, which I confess I was surprised that he was in. I was like, oh, wow, that's unusual. <laughs> Let, I'll take it. And I felt also like my parenting ego was stroked because as a writer, like I felt really great that English is the AP, one of his AP classes. So he tells me, actually, he didn't tell me, I got an email from his teacher in that class, which parents, you know, when you get an email with a teacher's name like that, that's not a happy reaction. You're not like, oh, yay, they're calling, you know, they're writing to tell me right. some great thing. That's never what's happening. Usually it's like, <laughs> hey, your child hasn't, in Micah's case, done none of the Odyssey assignments for an entire semester. And to which I have to explain, <laughs> yes, he chose to opt out. He's going to take the F. That's another podcast episode you'll have to go back and find. <laughs> Not titled Tiny Happy Things. <laughs> Tiny Unhappy Things. <laughs> Not so tiny, unhappy things. Yes. So I get this email from his teacher and I, I'm like, huh, I wonder what's happening. So 
I open it up and it was such a tiny, happy thing. His English teacher was writing to tell me that they were revising one of his essays. They were working on edits. And bear in mind, at this point, Jackson has heard me talk about edits now for like a month and a half and the the despair I feel and how much work they are. And he's seen me clock like 12 hours a day working on edits. <laughs> she goes... Jackson and I were working on edits together, and uh, I said to him, editing is where the real writing gets done. To which Jackson, I guess, snorted. I'm sure he snorted. She didn't say that, but I'm sure he was like, oh, yeah. He snorted and then said to her, oh, I know. That's what my mom says all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like so glad that I had like imprinted on his subconscious. And I guess his teacher then had asked him like, wait, so is your mom a writer? And so then he shared that I was and his teacher was writing to say she had looked up all my books on Amazon and how exciting it was to have a writer uh, as one of the parents, a professional author. And she just said so many kind things. And and honestly, when that email came in, I was sitting in like, I hadn't washed my hair in five days. I have my glasses on. I was in dis- the despair point of the editing cycle. <laughs> And it was so, so encouraging to be reminded that my son, though, has watched all of this happen, knows how hard editing is, and is actually applying that knowledge, that commitment, and that appreciation for the editing process to his own essay. And it just felt like a win on so many levels. Like the nerdy author in me was just so delighted that my kid, um, that I'd rubbed off on him in this way that matters to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. And I'm sh- I'm guessing as well, like you hopefully felt seen, you know, like the work of writing, yes. the work you're doing, it's so invisible. The long hours I know you're putting in and just that little message of, I see you, it matters, this is real work, this is where the writing happens, like all of that. That is so cool. Oh, I love that. Actually, a little funny note is that my second born, also son, is also a junior in high school, also in this AP English class. And there is something about AP English teachers. So I, I again, grew up in the U.S. school system. So I, I had AP English two years of it in high school. And I still vividly remember both of my English teachers. And of course, I went on to study English. So there's just something about, something about those high school AP English teachers. But so my son this year... Um, for how ha- for Halloween on Halloween went to school dressed as his AP English teacher. No, yes, oh, are you serious? Is it a man or a woman? A man, and I guess that has a distinctive so sartorial style that <laughs> um, the kids just note and and kind of admire. Like it was definitely an admiring. It was an homage. It was not a. It was not a ridicule. But it was an homage. Um, but I guess he just has a particular style, and um, yeah, maybe we'll we'll use that photo of my son dressed as his AP English teacher That's for awesome. the for the episode today. But I, but but when he told me he was going to do this, I said, "Okay, slow down." You've told me a bit about this teacher. I know about this teacher. I know you're you know sort of fascinated with this teacher. Will he appreciate mm. it if you come mm. in? Dress- <laughs> <laughs> and apparently he has he has a good friend in his class and they had both decided to do this and he's he he 
I don't know, he wasn't as reassuring to me as I had hoped, but I let him do it. I mean, you know, he he did it. He, he and his friend went and I asked him after school that day, so how did it go? What did, you know, what did your teacher say? And he said, well, when we walked in, he just looked at us and I, I said, did he know? He said, oh yeah, he knew right away. He knew. <laughs> and he just, he just, I think he did say, he like kind of lifted his eyebrow and just said like, looking nice, gentlemen, you know, oh, <laughs> looking good, nice. gentlemen. And you know, the boys love that kind of like yeah. cool response yeah. to yeah. the head nod. <laughs> so That's I think great. going along with that theme of AP English, of course, our listeners will not at all be surprised um, to hear this, but because I have been sick lately, I've been in bed a lot lately, um, the silver lining of that awfulness is that I've had a lot of time to read. Um, and it has been so wonderful. And I've had a streak of great books, which is also, it's not a tiny happy thing. To me, that is just like a wonderful, big, happy thing. I love it when I have time to read. I love it when the books are good. You know, so often, um, you know, you're maybe like just kind of stumbling through books that aren't quite what you need right now, or just aren't quite doing it for you. But I've just had a streak of some really great books. There's been um, a, a book, you know, it's also great when an author you've loved in the past has a new book out. So that has happened. Yes. So just to, not to go into too much depth, but just to throw out a few titles that I've really enjoyed. Um, some I'm still in. So uh, for instance, I really loved Catherine May's book on winter and wintering. And so she has a brand new book that just came out. She's a British writer um, called Enchantment, Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age. And she just, she's just a great writer. She, she notices, you know, it's kind of memoir and she just notices nature and her, herself and her life in a way. She just observes things in a way that is just so beautiful to read about. So I've just started it, but it was. And you love the word enchantment. I yes. know this about you. Yes. And that's the title. Wow. Enchantment is actually in the sub title. Wait, wait, I always struggle to remember my own subtitle. So listeners, I have a book coming out next month, April 11th, mm-hmm. called A Home in Bloom. And the subtitle is Four Enchanted Seasons with Flowers. <laughs> so yes, I love that <laughs> word. Um, I also just started a memoir I can tell I'm going to love because I, I mean, I was a couple pages in and I couldn't stop and the writing is so good. Um, it's called Blood from a Stone. It's by Adam McHugh and it's a memoir of how wine, like the wine you drink, wine brought me back from the dead. And it's from University Press. And some of our listeners may know him because he wrote a really well-known book called Introverts in the Church a few years back. Oh, yes. And I think this memoir has been out like a year. And it's one of those books where you start it and you think, why did no one tell me? I could have read this a year ago. But anyhow, I'm enjoying it now because it's fantastic. Um, again, haven't finished, but just I can just tell from the writing. It's it's just good writing and it's humorous in a kind of self-deprecating way. And it's just it's funny. It makes me laugh, um, even though it's serious. I love it. So, enjoying those books. What else have I been reading? Oh, I found a poet I love, Jillian Clark. Highly recommend her. I guess she was recently the National Poet of Wales, but she's fabulous. Oh, wow. Um, and then, was there another book lately? I feel like I have a stack next to my next to my bedside. I've just It's just been a good reading streak. And I'm continuing to read through the Ruth Rendell mysteries, Inspector Wexford mysteries. So those are like little palate cleansers between other things. And (laughs) anyhow, so as much as it has been a bummer to be sick and to miss certain things, I feel like 
the compensation has been lots of good reading time. Yeah. Yes. I like I part of me is jealous. I mean, I do yeah. not want to be sick. Yeah. Um, but part of me is a little bit jealous. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. At least there's a yeah, it's nice to be in bed tucked up with yes, a book. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Here's my last thing. So it's a not so tiny happy thing. And I'm trying to think how to jump into sharing this. Christy doesn't know this yet either. Um, all right. So here we are still in the season of Lent. Christy and I were actually just talking this morning about wanting to come and spend Easter weekend with them. Our families haven't been together in a while. Um, but I will say this, I am experiencing Lent in a new way for me this year. And I know there is a trend in our society, which I have been part of during the Lenten season to maybe take up a habit instead of give one up or to say, the thing I'm giving up is stress or worry <laughs> or, you know, things like that. But I remember Peter saying to me last year, well, the real idea behind what you lay down in Lent, the fasting of Lent, is to give up a pleasure, something that you actually love, which is why there's the feasting on Fat Tuesday. And then you give up a pleasure. And part of, as I'm understanding it, is, is when you lay that down, when you suffer in that way, when you put it I, I'm not going to say on the cross, that's not right, but it is to draw the parallel back to Jesus who scripture tells us emptied himself, like he gave up everything. And why did he do it? He did it for, for a greater love, like a greater pleasure. He did it because he loves us. And he ultimately, he did it because of the, what does it say? The What's that sentence? The not the, the joy, joy, the joy, the joy laid before him. Joy. What an interesting word to use, right? The joy, the reconciliation of all of his creatures he loves to himself, the honor of his father. Anyway, I started thinking about that last year and I'm still thinking about it this year. And as I was watching people talk on social media about how they're giving up, just being hard on themselves. And I shouldn't minimize that, but I think it really struck me, wait, like, what are what are we doing? Like, again, you're going to hear me harp a lot these days on how we tend to live in the kingdom of ourselves instead of the kingdom of Christ. And um, my brother, Joshua, who has battled cancer the last two years, did an amazing sermon at his church this last Sunday, and we can link it in the show notes. It was incredible. But one of the things he talked about is how we tend to think of God, the God of the universe, as like our PA, like our personal yeah. assistant, like yeah. if you could just, God, help me with these things I need done. And <laughs> I think that's part of what happens in the mindset when we think of Lent as something to somehow benefit us, like it's to alleviate my mental load somehow. Anyway, that was a long ramble to say for the first time in my adult life. So I have done it all those sort of ways over the years, I thought to myself, okay, I'm not going to give up a sin, which I think is sometimes <laughs> right. I've thought about I should do during Lent. What is a pleasure that I will give up? And I, I really did this. I thought about tiny happy things. What are What is something that every day I kind of look forward to? And I realized, Chrissy, I truly, and this is a weird admission too, because I have been a lifelong tea drinker. I love tea. But every day for like a year, two years now, I make coffee in the morning and is a ritual. And I have the fancy machine and I have the milk frother and I have the flavors I want and I reorder from Amazon and I have it in the afternoon and I love iced coffee. I love coffee. Like I love it a lot. And I realized, oh, coffee 
is something that brings me daily pleasure, comfort, a pause, an inward reflection moment, a sense of caring for myself. And I'm telling you, when coffee popped into my head to give up for Lent, I was like, oh, oh no, I, I yeah. don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's a long 40 days yeah. is a long time. And yet I just felt like and I think what I'm learning about this, too, is I didn't feel conviction. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like mm-hmm. you have to do right, this, right. you know, you sinner. I think I realized like, oh, but what it what I'm hoping to accomplish is that every time I go to seek comfort from this very ordinary thing, I would be reminded that Jesus wants to be that for me. He doesn't want to be like, I meet you at a big Bible study moment or a come to Jesus sermon or a hymn. No, like he wants to be the cup of comfort in the morning. Like he wants us to go to him for everything, not as the PA. We say, can you come help me? But instead, every single time I feel a need for security or comfort or warmth or familiarity or assurance, like every one of those things, he is offering that that is what the kingdom of Christ is. Well, here we are, (laughs) several weeks in, and I would tell you, I did not realize how much I think about coffee during the day. I did not realize how I just reach for it. I did not realize how much joy, like so much joy I get from it. I did not realize how often in the mornings after I've dropped the kids off, I'm facing a big week. I tell myself, oh, but I get to go to Duncan by myself. I'm going to do the drive through and get the coffee. And there's something about that that like helps me get through the morning, like knowing I'm going to have that. And so what's hard is I start to bargain in my mind, like, Lord, like what if just today, today is a really big day and I just need yeah. a cappuccino? <laughs> like, and God, if I, I just have this cappuccino today, then I'll be okay to give up to the rest of the day. And what's been so beautiful in that conversation is almost like the chuckle from Christ as he's like, Lisa Joe, like that's the point of this. Today is a yeah. really hard day. Hard Remember, day. <laughs> I'm here for you. Like you don't need coffee. <laughs> and it's been simultaneously very difficult. And probably there's been some caffeine withdrawal I wasn't expecting, but mostly because yeah. It is an internal rewiring of where I go for comfort, for pleasure, for warmth. And that I've just never, I guess, in my life, my Christian walk, as much as I've told myself, you're supposed to go to Jesus for those things. Lent is doing the thing Lent does. Like it is viscerally, like in my body, forcing me to turn my pleasures, my physical self to the Christ who made me and say, here I am again, like weak, tired. I am like this day needs something more than me. I think that's what I'm realizing. And I've never done it before. I've never done Lent before. And yeah, it's it's surprisingly meaningful while I also want it to be over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> coffee again. Like the smell, the foam, the sugar, like all of it. Mm-hmm. I've tried. And I, it's not like I've given up hot beverages. I'm having tea and hot chocolate and they're all meaningless, meaningless. That's what I want to say with Ecclesiastes. <laughs> vanity, vanity. They are not yes. my coffee. <laughs> they're not my coffee. 
Oh, it has surprisingly brought a lot of joy at the same time. (laughs) It's interesting that you ended with that because, and I will also say we are so simpatico after all these years of podcasting that we didn't even decide how many tiny happy things we would talk about. Yeah. Um, And actually, just let me pause and say that I love that you shared that as a tiny happy thing because some might not see it that way. So that I kind of would love to talk more about that, but maybe we'll do it in another episode. Even though we didn't plan this out, we didn't even plan the number of things we shared. We both clearly jotted down three things, and we both ended with Lent. So my last one has to do with Lent as well. And I've I've realized maybe this year more than any other year how grateful I am for the church rituals and services of the Lent and Easter season of Holy Week and everything. So um I think our listeners know I'm I'm in a church that's part of the Anglican Communion, an Episcopal church. There are many other traditions that would have very similar Lenten um, uh, services and rituals, whether you're Orthodox or Catholic or Lutheran um, or many other things. But I just have realized this year that when life is just, I mean, here we are, we're celebrating ordinary life, but ordinary life is, the sh- it's not, it's really shiny and (laughs) beautiful. It can just, especially at the end of winter, be so dull and boring and same and dreary. It really can. We know that. That's why we come every week to try to mine something, something better, something truer. But, you know, ordinary life is that, especially for me in March. And somehow going each Sunday and and just entering into like the solemnity and the beauty and the majesty of a really stripped back liturgical season. You know, even the flowers up near the altar at the front of the church are are less flowery, <laughs> you know? They're 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 <laughs> stripped back and um you know the in procession, the the cross we carry is veiled, literally veiled. Ours has a purple covering over it. We don't even see Christ on the cross. Like there's so many little changes, and yet I know we're heading into a series of Holy Week services: Monday, Thursday, foot washing, Good Friday, um, Holy Saturday. That that terrible pause when we know Jesus was dead and in the grave. And then all of it leading up to, you know, maybe the Easter vigil Saturday night and Sunday morning Easter. Like somehow I'm, even though my actual, well, I won't even call it my actual life. One big, huge layer of my life is just utterly ordinary right now. Like nothing exciting. <laughs> Doesn't feel like I'm in a story. It just is. It's it's not exactly survival, but kind of, you know, it's just doing the daily, daily thing, the daily grind. And yet at the same time, because of my religion, because of my church community, because of worship, I am living in a amazing story, like the best story, the story of Lent and Easter. I'm actually living it like this really day by day. I'm thinking like, okay, we'll go on Sunday and this, this part of the story, and then Palm Sunday and that part of the story. So this idea that that church and liturgy can be a way of just, of actually living out the story of Christ in the world. Um, I feel it year round, but I just really feel it right now because it almost feels like I'm living 
I'm living this parallel, I'm living my ordinary story, but I'm living this parallel story that is really dramatic and exciting and meaningful and deep. Um, And I actually am living that story. Like those things are overlaid. Uh, I'm not just pretending to live it. I am with a community. And I just haven't, maybe it's that juxtaposition of just, oh, sick, dreary, get the kids to school, you know, (laughs) fill up the car with gas, get to Costco with the, with the story of Jesus. And I, I had the pleasure, joy, privilege of preaching at my church last Sunday, which meant I'd spent a lot of time with our gospel reading, which was Jesus talking with Nicodemus in the night. And man, I, spending time with that part of the story, now I just, I love Nicodemus. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, just feel like <laughs> that, the story of it all is so much, it's like really got its, its it's really um, woven into my own story and, and just the, you know, I'm thinking these days about Nicodemus and how he was there at the end with Jesus. He and Joseph of Arimathea were the ones who cared for Jesus's body and laid him in that tomb. It's such a good story. And to live it out um, daily and, and over these weeks changes everything. And um, my ordinary life kind of fades and I'm, I'm now caught up in this much bigger, truer, richer, realer, meaningful story. And um, so that's my last, it's it's not a tiny happy thing. And yet it's just, um, it's a very good thing. And I'm very grateful for it. And I'm feeling it more this year than I think I ever have. So I love that we both ended with Lent as a a good thing (laughs) these days, something to be very grateful for. (laughs) Very, very grateful. 